Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. He's just jealous that his NFL team didn't defeat the much-feared New York Jets Sunday. He's former CEO of Spirit Airlines, Ben Baldanza, who now teaches about how airlines work. And if you ask him, he would say the NFC East is just like the airline industry where everyone has a losing record right now, but someone is going to have to finish on top. He's NPR's here and now transportation analyst, Seth Kaplan. And that somebody could be your New York Giants, Ben, whereas my Miami Dolphins, finally with a winning record this season, who knows, the Jets, by the way, 0-10, terrible team for anybody who didn't get the joke in the intro. Well, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, airlines are apparently going to be an important part of the solution to COVID-19, but are they also part of the cause of the virus spread? Well, let's hope not. Plus, does one airline's pilots taxi more quickly than the rest? And if so, why? First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, United American and the cargo carrier DHL are among the airlines named in reports by the Wall Street Journal and ABC News as being involved in transporting COVID-19 vaccines. And I'm sure plenty of other airlines around the world are similarly involved. You know, when we think about logistical operations, okay, let's set wars aside. I can't imagine there's ever been any peacetime operation like this one. I mean, you've got the Pfizer vaccine, which has to be kept at 80 degrees below zero, and the urgency of distributing a vaccine designed to stop a virus that's killing literally thousands of people per day. Like right now, it's literally a 9-11 in the world every day. 9-11 killed about 3,000 people. More than that are dying many days in the world each day from this vaccine. What a responsibility everyone in the supply chain is going to have here, Ben. Well, it is critically important that this vaccine or these vaccines, first of all, are proven to be effective and are proven to not have, you know, negative sort of after effects, hopefully, and um, will be taken by people. (laughs) But then once, you know, that's all sort of straightened out that they can get in the hands of, you know, whether it's CVS or Walgreens or your doctor or your school or wherever people will actually get the vaccine and can do it in the proper order. You know, people who are have um, issues health-wise first, maybe take it first if it's proven effective for them, first responders, things like that. And, you know, normal, healthy people hopefully get it, but get it after all those who need it first get it. And all of that, you think about that for every country around the world, clearly airlines are going to have to be involved. Clearly, you're going to need specialty carriage for those that need the the really low temperatures, like you pointed out. And this is an amazing logistical thing for the world to have to deal with. And unlike a war, 
or unlike maybe, you know, Hurricane Katrina, where there was a very localized effort to do things or something like that, with everyone in the world needing this to work, hopefully we'll have collaboration and people around the world will work well together to make it happen and let planes land where they need to land and let doctors be where they not need to be and things like that. Most definitely so, yeah. I'm, I'm just really in awe at how after all of the suffering, this thing sort of, I mean, I think there's been a little bit of an upside surprise here in terms of the apparent efficacy of the vaccine and the apparent safety. And I realize it's, you know, and I say vaccine, you're right. You said vaccines, plural, uh, two that appear to be hopefully right around the corner here, a third close, another few, perhaps not too far behind. But yeah, just, just really after all the bad stuff, the good stuff, seems to be happening kind of quickly now. And let's hope, uh, my hope now is that there's also an upside surprise in how quickly this can get into people's arms because they're preparing us for this to take most of next year. And maybe it will, but you know, maybe this will be another one of those things where once they get going, it just won't take that long. And I know we have to manage our expectations and it's going, you know, we're going to need a booster. It's not just to get this thing once and then you're fine. Uh, we need the world to cooperate. You mentioned Ben, are people going to take it all of the rest of it, but gosh, you, you have to let yourself be a little excited. Well, that's <laughs> these days, right. That. After everything bad. Right. And, and I heard a doctor on a popular left wing news program, <laughs> you know, to, to point out that, you know, so people don't think I, I got this from another source um, <laughs> who, who said that if you take the number of people infected to date and you take a 50 percent rate of people saying, I want the virus, he said, if you take those, I, two I, I, I want the vaccine. You mean I want the vaccine, right? Yeah, I, want, I, yeah, I said the virus. I meant the vaccine. Yeah. So and if he says 50 percent of the people say I'll take the vaccine for the virus, that's what I meant to say. And he said and they can get that by May or so. He said that he believed that the country would be reaching something approaching a reasonable herd immunity by May or June. If those things happen, if it got out and 50% people took it and it was as effective as people were saying it, you know, a lot of ifs there. But right. if that's the case, Seth, is it possible the airlines could have a good summer 2021? It's it's possible. That's what I wonder here. You know, we have family events and so forth penciled in next summer and to try to plan anything right now is is to try to plan anything tomorrow <laughs> this year is, <laughs> is 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 kind of crazy but uh but that's kind of what i wonder right is is if you know as it's april and may if we can actually be thinking about doing some of the things in june and july that we wanted to and and that's driven largely by and, and look we're going to follow the the, the the advice of health authorities so so until they say it's it's okay you know we're we're, we're you know, we're just going to try to do the right thing for ourselves, but also for, for society. But yeah, the original concerns were that if this vaccine were only, you go back a few months, in other words, if this vaccine were only about as effective as, as the flu shot, which depending on the year, you know, it can be, I mean, there are years it's been less than 50%, uh, but a good year might be, I believe, you know, 60, 70%, that kind of thing. And then if you also don't have a lot of people taking it, 
or I should flip the sentence around, if a lot of people don't take it, right? If, if something approaching half the population doesn't take it and it's only 60, 70% effective, well, now you're talking about something way short of 50% of people being you know, perhaps immune to the thing, and that might not get us quite to, to herd immunity. And it might also leave people vulnerable who had gotten the vaccine, right? Who did all the right things, but but if the vaccine just was, you know, wasn't that effective and you didn't have that many people who took it, could be a problem. Now it kind of sounds like if you get the vaccine, you're in pretty good shape. I mean, you get, if you get the booster and if you do all the rest of it, and on top of that, if you have something right, like half the population or more, getting it too, then yeah. Uh, and, and as you said, it might not take that long. Again, health authorities preparing us for this to last through much of 2021, and it may indeed. But you kind of wonder when that first day is going to be that you're going to be able to safely, I don't want to say take chances, I don't want to say let down your guard, because by, by definition, that's not what it is, right? Just be able to safely do some of the things, again, uh, that we've that we used to do back in the old days. No, you're right, Def- Seth. Defined as, defined as like February, right? And, yeah. and for airlines, it's not only that people are comfortable getting on the airplane, but it's that governments are comfortable opening things up again, reducing quarantine requirements or eliminating them and things like that. And it's hard for me to imagine that early on in a vaccine, they would do that because, of course, they don't know who's going to take it, how effective it is, things like that. I've continued to believe, Seth, that a combination of vaccines and a fast, accurate, low-cost test would be the best solution for travel. Because you could tell people, for example, hey, come into the park. I'm going to test you in five minutes. I'll know. And you can tell everyone, everyone in the park has been tested negative. And you don't have to worry about who's taking the vaccine or not. Now, obviously, the more people who've taken the vaccine, the more who will test negative, right? So I think in combination for travel, both of those things for 2021 would be great if they could happen. Yeah. And I want to ask you about that. You know, although there's some disagreement about the details, there's little question that ever since airlines began mandating masks on flights, air travel seems to be rather safe in terms of what's on the plane. People don't seem to be catching the virus on airplanes. And again, I know there's some disagreement about the precise degree to which we can state that unequivocally, but that's not where people are generally getting this thing. That's pretty clear. On the other hand, we have health authorities advising against travel to different degrees. And last I checked, airlines help people travel, right? They're not the only way people travel. People travel by car and planes and or, you know, trains and buses and all the rest of it. But certainly that's how people move around the world. Well, we saw some countries early in the pandemic basically shut down their transportation systems. And of course, airlines aren't going to unilaterally do that. Their job is to fly and is to stay in business, employ people and generate returns for our shareholders and all the rest of it, albeit as safely as possible. Ben, it would be extraordinarily expensive, but with the virus surging right now, Again, airlines are gonna suge- aren't going to suggest this, but how would they feel about being grounded for a month and having the federal government cover the incremental losses be- beyond what they're losing now anyway? The reason I'm asking this is because we talked about the vaccine and uh, what an extraordinary effort that is, and that took lo- lots of billions of dollars. I mean, that's what happened there, right? Uh, along with all of the brilliance of the scientists, and it was this extraordinarily—I shouldn't say was in the past tense—it is this extraordinary public 
private partnership of government throwing lots of money at things and then private companies making it happen. Should the government be doing that with air travel saying, hey, we just need to stop people moving around here because the last thing we want is for people to get sick right before a vaccine, but we're going to cover the cost of that. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's interesting, Seth. I think a 30-day grounding of all airlines, though, would really, really hurt the economy, to be honest. Yeah, it'd be terrible. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it would be terrible. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there because I've heard and, – and, and again, I'm not, I'm not – I'm not, you know, this is not – uh, not representing my opinion. It's just you hear various things that people say, you know, and, and gosh, I, I, go, I go back and forth on all this kind of stuff, right? Because I'm like, well, it's true. That's how people people spread the virus by moving around. Uh, but but if but if you can't fly, on the other hand, you push people into cars, which are on balance probably more dangerous and all the re- – I don't know. I don't know the answer. Just just throwing that out there. What if the government said to them, hey, let's do this, but we're going we're gonna to cover the cost of it? Yeah. And covering the cost, you know, is just a huge thing because do you just cover the people cost? Do you cover the lease cost for the airplanes? Do you cover the debt service cost? Right. And yeah. and I'm not saying that the government should cover those costs. I'm just saying that a lot of costs beyond just people and people themselves are a huge cost. So it'd be right. a big, big deal. And, and actually, I think the economic biggest cost would be if not able to move by plane, what doesn't what else doesn't get done and there's you know some things can be done by zoom and microsoft teams and things but you can't really deliver goods that way right right so. right no the the cargo you need it and uh, and again there are all those other trickle down effects as you said those sort of the broader economic cost and what we saw with the first tranche of aid is that airlines and their direct employees were more or less taken care of for this first six months but all kinds of other pain because of, I mean, airlines weren't grounded, but because of, of what they were going through and the, and the cuts and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, no no uh, easy answers here, obviously. Let's just hope that this all happens as quickly as it can in terms of the virus being the, – the, the vaccines, rather. I did it that time, Ben. <laughs> the vaccines being, being uh, approved and getting – to everybody who needs them as as quickly as possible and to a day when we could talk about this in the past that's say, could you believe that happened uh for you know, for those of us fortunate enough to to to, to survive and, and hopefully our our uh, our families survive this thing in good health too well uh, time now ben for our first listener question or make that questions plural yoni our friend in chicago writes hate the show thank you yoni why does delta and i'll be the first to say, Ben. I don't know the answer to this first one, so if you don't know it either, we can refer this to our to our astute listeners uh, <laughs> and, and let somebody else. But maybe you know why does Delta keep shutting down their O'Hare cargo facility? They did it once in June, and again this week. It's weird because Delta is now flying wide bodies to O'Hare for cargo. So wouldn't that mean they need to keep the facility open more? To keep that up, Ben. Do you have any idea? And, and if you don't, like I said, we could just sort of. I don't out. really. Although I will say, Delta is a well-run and generally quite intelligently run airline, and so my guess is that they open it when they need it, and they save the cost and close it when they don't. And maybe they've created enough variability in the cost mm-hmm. in terms of maybe people are only working there on shift bases or only on a contract basis. Or maybe even they save on some lease expense or 
maybe not just uh, maybe just the HVAC or something like that. You know, maybe they don't keep it open when they can't use it. And I would think that would make sense knowing that it's Delta, but I really don't know, Seth. Somebody out there might know uh, better than we do. Feel free to you're not this time for once you're not correcting something that we were wrong about you're just informing us because we have no idea the second question i know what i think the answer has been uh, because you know he's not the only person who's observed this and it, it there's I've, I've heard what i think is the answer enough and it makes enough sense to me that i think it might be but i've never truly corroborated it this question also from yoni is why does southwest taxi so fast in other words taxiing to and from the gate so now first of all ben are you have you noticed this are you aware of it yeah i'm totally i'm totally aware of it yes okay okay yeah so and, and it is okay so first of all it's not just Yoni's imagination and it's not just my imagination, right? Like this is real. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so this is, this is the lore that Southwest taxis really fast. I mean, not on safely fast, but just like, like, you know, like faster than other airlines. Like they're trying to get out there and they're trying to get back. And, let me take a stab at this again, based on my understanding, and you would know something about the the different labor contracts and be able to corroborate at least that. Uh, so Southwest pilots, gener- they're, they're paid differently from other pilots. I mean, you add it all up and, and the, 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 the pay is competitive. They just have a different way of getting there. But other airlines are, are paid by the hour or pilots and other airlines are paid by the hour based on uh, block times. And then, of course, if they end up working more they get paid more and all that sort of thing southwest pilots are paid based on aren't they called like credits or something ben i mean it's basically they're paid for the trips they're paid for the trip Uh, that's my understanding yes right they're paid for the trip and so the explanation i've heard uh, is is just that because they are paid to complete the trip and and that there's no benefit let's say a flight is running late to (laughs) taxiing a little more slowly to the gate uh the rest of it that they are just incentivized to, 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 to be faster, get to be safe. I mean, Southwest is, is, is by reputation, a very safe airline, uh, but to maybe taxi a little bit more quickly. Anybody else? Ben, am I right? Uh, is there more to it? Do you know, or is that also just something you've heard out there? What's, what's the answer? I, I think that certainly probably part of it, but I bet it's just more culture too. They know that, Completing trips on time and getting to the next trip is really important. Southwest, like other low-cost carriers, tends to fly more trips per day with their airplane because they spend less time on the ground. So that can delay flights if they're not all on time. So maybe you're gonna maybe they can't control being held to land, but they can certainly get out fast. I will also say that Southwest does a good job at many airports and certainly where it can to position itself in the airport as close to the runway as possible. I remember long ago when I worked for U.S. Airways and they entered the Philadelphia market. This was about 2004. Four. Um, yeah. <laughs> right before, in, in unrelated news, right before U.S. Airways filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, no, right? that's right. <laughs> the um, second time. And, and they, <laughs> actually, they actually, actually very much, in, in very much, in very much related news. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. And they that's position right. themselves both at gates 
and to use a shorter runway at Philadelphia Airport that all the U.S. Airways pilots basically said, well, you know, we don't really want to take off from that runway because it's too short. Not that it was too short for safe operations, but it drove, you know, the then CEO and COO of U.S. Airways crazy. It's like, well, hey, if they can operate there, we should be able to operate there too, and why not? And it's this whole thing. But uh, the point is, I think Southwest has a long history of saying, we want to get from the gate into the air as quickly as possible. And that's going to determine where we position ourselves in the airport and how fast we get the plane there within the within the guidelines of the airport. Of course, taxiways have have speed limits like, <laughs> like roads do, right? They can't taxi unsafely fast. So I think it's a great culture at Southwest that says, once, once everybody's boarded, get in the air as quickly as you can. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying. I was hoping you would you would take even longer on that question, Ben, because doing the math here uh, using Sirium data, average stage length for all the U.S. airlines, and I think I just about got it here. So this is uh so so this is for all of last year. This year is so weird, you know, just everything all over the place. But so it's just kind of in a let's call it a normal year, 2019. Uh, so this is domestic. Flights for all U.S. airlines, average stage length, just how many, I mean, for it's not exactly this, but be, uh, on average, how far somebody's flying. And Southwest not only has a rather short average stage length, but it is the lowest of all the U.S. airlines. Just, just uh, looking at, uh, what did I do here? Uh, so this is just domestic flights. So I'm talking not even when you think about uh, the fact that obviously Delta, American, and United have some very long flights around the world. But even looking just at domestic flights, Southwest average stage length of uh, 751 miles, according to, well, according to my calculation based on Sirium scheduled data. Uh, others are in, in some cases over a thousand miles. And so then that means exactly what you said, Ben, the quick turn is most important for Southwest. And if you include international, it's just off the charts then, right? Because uh, an airline like United goes, goes way up. And so Southwest planes, I, 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 I just kind of know more broadly and certainly based on this would expect take off and land more frequently than any other airlines planes. Right. Yeah. And so so the quick turn, it's simply more when, when the plane is up and down five, six, occasionally seven times a day. The turn time is just and all that stuff that's involved in taking off and landing like taxiing is just more important than it is. Uh, the other extreme, if you're wondering, JetBlue domestic flights, average stage length, twelve hundred sixty three miles. Uh, Southwest, as I said, 751, everybody else somewhere in between. So even though JetBlue isn't going to come out and say, we don't care how quickly we turn a plane around, no airline's going to say that it's important to all airlines. The reality is just objectively, by definition, it's more important for Southwest than it is for any other airline. Well, time next for passengers behaving badly. But first, Seth, we want to thank Seabury Capital. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime, financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seabury, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. 
More turkey for everyone else last week at one home after their 44-year-old relative was arrested for, you guessed it, not wearing a mask. I know you're yawning. Nothing new there. A passenger behaving badly by not wearing a mask. But hold on. Usually someone is arrested at their destination after refusing to wear a mask during a flight. Joshua Colby Council, that's his name, allegedly didn't even make it out of his origin airport. It happened the night before Thanksgiving at Salt Lake City. KSL Radio there says he bypassed the Delta Airlines gate agent, walked down the jetway and boarded flight 1382 all without wearing a mask. The radio station didn't say this from what I can see. Uh, that flight would have been going to Phoenix. The airline called the cops. Everyone else got off the plane first. Then the cops arrested counsel. Then everybody else got back on and flew on. But, uh, man, the uh, I mean, right, you at least want to be able to, when you get bailed out of jail, go see your family, right? At least get 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 out of your origin. And if you don't want to wear the mask, at least wear it boarding and then make some excuse that you're drinking a soda or something right right <laughs> really like, slowly i've heard well that's, that's what i've heard people that seems to be like the mo of of people who don't want to follow the rules they just claim to but yeah no this guy just got it all out of the way including the arrest before well and the scary thing about this story i saw this story seth and the scary thing was how it says he bypassed a delta airlines gate agent i mean does that mean he sort of had been checked in but just sort of walked by and didn't even scan his ticket or was the agent saying, sir, 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 something like that. Or was, was the agent distracted? You know, it's like that, that was kind of scary too, I think. And also very bad behavior. Right. And remember the, the, the mask rule is an airline policy, right? So when you get arrested, it's for, as we all know, violating crew member instructions, right? We've all heard in the in the safety briefing. So that's really when, you know, it's not the fact that you didn't ever have a mask on and somebody asks you nicely and then you say, oh, I'm sorry, and you put it on. It usually takes uh, something a lot more willful. And this guy was clearly determined to, as I said, rush through the whole process of not wearing the mask and getting arrested before even leaving SLC. Well, could an old idea be the right combination for this new world? Combination in quotes. We'll explain when Airlines Confidential returns. Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. They're a Fortune 1000 company that makes travel management easier and less expensive with their AI-powered booking applications, intelligent learning algorithms, customizable rules engines, analytics and global negotiated rate programs, for travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit HotelConnections.com. That's HotelConnections.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at AirlinesConfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Back to the mailbag now. Irwin of Kent, Washington writes, first of all, thank you for all the great shows. All right, we'll forgive you, Irwin, for being way nicer than we like people to be. I have a question, Irwin says, regarding combi aircraft, COVID and the post-COVID world. Okay, so step back just for a second. Combi aircraft, for anybody who doesn't know, aircraft 
where rather than having sort of the whole top level be the passenger cabin and then everything under that is the belly, right, carrying cargo, uh, there are aircraft in the world, not very many, but uh, most famously 747s like those, ones flown by KLM, the combi where half of what normally would be the passenger compartment carried cargo, Alaska Airlines, older 737s, same thing where markets where there's just a whole lot of cargo demand and less passenger demand, uh, where the plane, it's fitted to carry cargo on top, part of what would be the passenger compartment as well as in the belly. Anyway, uh, Irwin writes, I'm not sure, but I think COVID will fundamentally uh, alter business travels in the future. I think business travel will reduce, certainly not replace as teleconferencing becomes more common practice and people develop better communication skills. Uh, if that is the case, and e-commerce becomes another common practice, seems to me, com- seems to me combi aircraft might make sense in the future. Uh, may companies not, uh, maybe companies cannot reach the size of Amazon to justify their own operation. Okay, so everyone's saying how Amazon is is kind of flying the contracts it out, but kind of uh, running their own airline. A third party offering uh, to level the field for smaller players and help airlines. Uh, if this theory makes sense, combi aircraft might make sense. May I have your opinion? What do you think, Ben? Any, anything to what Irwin's suggesting here? Combi aircraft, like enough of a shift in terms of more cargo demand and less passenger demand that we could see a resurgence of combis because really they've kind of largely gone away. As I mentioned, there was older 747s, older 737s where we've largely seen these kind of aircraft. Well, I agree with Irwin's premise that business travel may not all come back and that more people are going to be having things delivered and because they don't want to go out as often. And so the need for sort of cargo service is going to become more and airlines are going to have to replace maybe some business they lose from from loss of business travel. So I agree with that premise. I just don't think combi aircraft are the economical economic solution to it. Combi airplanes, almost by their nature, don't do cargo or passengers well, right? <laughs> trying to do both, trying to serve both masters, they serve yeah. neither. And they're very heavy for the type of equipment. I remember when I worked at Taka, we had a single 737 combi. I didn't realize that. Okay. Away, the most inefficient airplane in the fleet. Yeah. And they, you know, they, but they flew a lot of flowers from Central America to the United States in the, in the, in the cargo section. And um, it has a, the, the cargo section of the combi has to have a really big door on the side to load the freight in. That door adds an enormous amount of weight, makes the plane even a little less efficient in the air. So the fuel burn and everything is 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 not great on the plane. But the real reason I think the combis aren't the right answer for the future is that cargo and passengers just have different flows. Cargo goes one way, passengers go round trip. That's one, that's one reality, yeah. right? Um, but where you want the cargo to go and the times you want the cargo to go isn't always the same as you want passengers. So there's going to be times that you really want the cargo piece of that airplane that you're just going to have to give away the seats. And times when you really want those seats for the passengers and maybe you're not going to be able to get the cargo as much. So I actually think 
a dedicated fleet of cargo airplanes and a dedicated fleet of passenger carrier airplanes can be scheduled more efficiently, can be more efficient for the airline to run. Now, maybe if Irwin said, do you think more airlines might might convert some airplanes to cargo airplanes or build a cargo division if they don't have it today, then I might say maybe you have something there or when, and that might make a lot of sense. I just think the combi itself is not the right vehicle to do what fundamentally Irwin, I think, correctly says the world where the world is going. Yeah. I've got an idea going back to something we talked about earlier, people not wearing masks. Why don't we put them kind of reverse it instead of having cargo upstairs, people who aren't wearing a mask, just put them down in the belly of the plane, right? <laughs> they, they could just do that and then well, be that's happy. Mean, Seth. <laughs> and the and the rest of us could what's wrong with that? I like it. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it on the air. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You know, Seth, most airlines have stopped carrying pets in the belly because not all of them made it. So you might want to rethink that idea. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe oh. that's what you were thinking. I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I would, see, see, you're worse than I. No, that would never occur to me. I mean, make it all comfortable, but just, just, uh, but just, uh, I don't, I don't want them in the same Yeah, well, with a good yeah, mattress. Yeah. <laughs> well, finer wine is next. But first, we want to thank Clear. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com airlines. Looking for the Boeing 747 launch brochure? The archive.net is the webzium of commercial aviation. It's an AvGeek virtual webzium and archive, hence the name archive, A-I-R-C-H-I-V-E. The largest collection of AvGeek memorabilia on the web is, is not another plane spotting website, timetables, route maps, airline cabins, menus, safety cards, brochures, airline terminals, airplane graveyards, behind the scenes of airline headquarters, training facilities, museum photos, Final assembly lines, MROs and airlines from past to present. Best part is it's all free. Yeah, no catch. All free at the archive.net or you can follow the archive, again, A-I-R-C-H-I-V-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint. Then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Yes. Iowana of Morton Grove, Illinois, is complaining about KLM. Iowana writes, I booked a ticket for my mom from Bucharest to Chicago. Long story short, I filled out the information 100% correctly, but somehow her first name got interchanged with her last name. Of course, they didn't believe me when I called and said I bought the ticket online and I filled out the information incorrectly. I had to send them a screenshot via email showing that I filled out the information correctly, last name under last name, first name under first name. After 30 minutes of waiting on hold, they told me they will take care of the problem and I will receive a new ticket. 24 hours later, I receive a message from them telling me I need to pay 179 euros extra if I wanted a new ticket to correct the information. 
Again, I filled out the information correctly. They are the ones that messed up the name. I called again and waited another 30 minutes for someone to help me with this issue. I still don't have a new ticket. And honestly, I doubt I will receive one before my mom's flight, which is in 24 hours. Do yourself a favor and fly with a different airline. KLM is the absolute worst. Here's the part I find the most surprising, for for lack of a better word. The screenshot of the correctly filled out information. So presumably, uh, what I want to see what she's saying here is that she had a screenshot of what she filled out before she submitted it. Who does that? Right, I mean, you take a screenshot after. Obviously, I've taken screenshots all the time of things. But like, who would take a screenshot just in case the airline mixes up the first and the last it's just that that to me maybe doesn't i don't know maybe she's saying something else ben what do you think about that and overall fine or wine here i have the same suspicion you do seth i don't know that uh she i'm not accusing her of this but it certainly sounds like she after being told she entered it wrong she went in to buy another ticket, entered it right, took a screenshot and said, look, this is what I did. Now, if that is what she did and she was just, you know, repeating it for them in a way so they could see what she did, okay. So I think she probably a, made a, a, re- a, reenact- a reenactment a of a ticket of a, of a ticket practice. That's right. <laughs> no, I, I think she probably entered the name wrong, actually. And on the other hand, they told her that they would receive a new ticket and they would take care of the problem. So if they really did say that, they should have taken care of the problem and giving her the new ticket. Right. And so I don't necessarily understand the 179 euros for correcting the information. That's a lot of money for flipping the first name and last name, I think. Right. Um, So I don't understand that. And I don't understand why it took so long when they said they would take care of and do it. So in that sense, I'm I'm with Iwana on this one. I'd say if they said they were going to take care of it, follow, follow their word and take care of it. On the other hand, my guess is like all of the complaints we have, there's more in them than the people write. And she probably had culpability here. So I think her core issue is a whine. But I think it ends up being fine because the airline said they were going to solve it for her. And it looks like they didn't. I agree with that. And look, we've all made mistakes, or at least I sure have. As as as, as good as I like to think I am at the travel game, well, during usual times when, when I travel, uh, I, Ben, in my life, I have booked a flight for the wrong day, you know? <laughs> I've, 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 I've done all those things, right? If you've traveled enough, you're going to make those mistakes. Uh, and and here, you know, I, I think too, by the way, I mean, it's it's clearly, well, if the case is that I want to really just made this mistake and and clearly isn't trying to, you know, change the name on a ticket, right? Make it, you know, get, get the airline to let somebody different travel, right? It's just clearly a, what you'd call in government or a courtroom, a Scrivener's error, right? Then, then, then I think it's reasonable just to ask the airline to fix it. And it seems like on some level they were convinced of that. And then, yeah, something went wrong. So I, I, I agree probably more to this story, the screenshot. I got to say, that's what makes me suspicious. It just kind of makes me question the credibility overall uh, because it, it, it seems pretty straightforward. You, you, you probably made this mistake and it's, you know, a, it's, it's a reasonable mistake to make and just ask them to 
correct the ticket based on the fact that obviously you're not trying to dupe them. You know, I can't I can't promise Seth though that I won't uh try that reenactment at some point in the future. <laughs> I think it might be helpful. <laughs> Get somebody to to like produce like it was like slow-mo and maybe some dramatic music, you yeah. know, it all, all started off with the, you know, change the date on the computer Ooh, before you do it. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of <laughs> do the slow push into the screen. It's, yeah, yeah, all very very dramatic. Well, on final approach now that does it for Airlines Confidential this week, please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat packs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429 or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.